Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Be sure to check out our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com where you will see the opportunity to subscribe to your favorite syndication network and review a breadth and depth of topics relevant to business creators just like you. Now today, we're going to have a new take on something that we have covered a few times on this show. So we sort of have a track along these lines. And it's the type of thing where we have constant evolution, so it's great to have new voices and get new perspectives on it. And there are a couple things that we're going to be covering today that, candidly, I don't really know much about. It's been a while since I've really been in digital marketing. And I know there have been a couple innovations and there have been some evolutions in search engine optimization and search engine marketing. So very, very happy to have with us somebody today who is going to deliver a ton of great information that's going to really help you. So make sure you subscribe so you can download this and listen to it again to catch all those points. His name is Bradley Becker. And to hear it from Bradley himself, he's a self-proclaimed addict when it comes to digital marketing. He's the co-founder of a company called Semantic Mastery, as well as the owner and founder of Big Bamboo Marketing. With a unique skill set, Bradley provides digital marketers and business owners with the tools, training, and insights they need to make more money, get better clients, and work less. Together with his team at Semantic Mastery, Bradley consistently delivers proven real-world results-oriented training, and business development tools. Bradley has graciously joined us today to share actionable tips and tricks to help you navigate the semantic web and optimize your digital marketing efforts so that you can make more money and get better clients by working smarter, not harder. So, Bradley, come on in. The weather's fine. (laughs) Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me on, Adam. And we're honored to have you here. So what I'd like to do real quick is by now, some of our listeners probably have a separate browser tab open, and they're binging the Yahoo out of the Googles, trying to discover more about who this Bradley Benner is and what is semantic mastery and what is this big bamboo marketing. So what I'd like to do before we dive into the primary topics we're going to cover today is let's take a step back and tell us a little bit about your journey and what brought you to where you are today serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. So, yeah, well, I I actually come from a contracting background, uh, technical background. I was an electrician for many years. Right out of high school, I got certified as an electrician and went into that trade for several years uh, and then ended up working for Verizon for a few years uh, doing cable maintenance and and such. So I'm still working with tools and in, you know, kind of a craft-type trade. And um, back in 2000 time frame 2001, I got introduced to the real estate market because obviously back then, if, if everybody remembers, the real estate market was incredibly hot. You know, if you touched it, you made money. Right. And, uh, and, I, and I got sucked into the house flipping business, you know, the, by, by those, those we buy houses signs you see on the side of the road and all that. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually got sucked into that business because I, you know, read some sales letters that were being sent to me via direct mail about, you know, how to, how to learn that business. And I was going to college at the time for, to become an electrical engineer, but 
I, I, got, I was really interested in the, uh, the idea that I could make money from real estate. And so long story short, I decided to stop going to college and instead focus my study time on learning the real estate business, and I did. And within about three months, I actually was able to quit my job working for Verizon, at, you know, in the technical trades and go into a full-time house flipping business, which is where I really learned marketing. Um, you know, having my own business is where I started to learn about traditional marketing at the time. This was back in 2003. So the web, web marketing was, you know, in its, in its infancy at that point. It wasn't something that I really focused on at all. I mean, I, I used the computer for uh, creating marketing messages within wor Word and postcards and things like that, but I never really used it for digital marketing purposes. Um, but I learned marketing and the principles of marketing over the course of several years when I was running my real estate business. And then, and I fell in love with marketing, actually. Um, it, you know, I enjoyed the real estate end of it, too, but I did fall in love with the marketing process. And then in 2007, the, you know, the bubble kind of burst with real estate, and I, I was actually doing rehabs at that time because I, I had a construction background. So um, I fortunate, unfortunately, I ended up, you know, basically losing everything because I had several rehab projects that fell way bar, way below market value. The, the after repaired value fell below that, um, you know, from even less than what I had purchased them from. And I still had tens of thousands of dollars of construction work to do. So long story short, I ended up, uh, you know, closing that business down and went back into electrical work for about two years. So from about 2008 until 2010, I was still, I went back into doing electrical work, this time as a contractor doing my own business. So I was running my own business, but I wanted to generate more leads for my own, my own business. And I had always enjoyed the marketing business or, or marketing for the real estate business. So I started looking at how to generate more leads for my own electrical contracting business. And by that time, the, Digital marketing was really where most leads were coming from for local businesses such as contractors. And so I started looking, and I, th I didn't really have the money to hire a digital marketing professional at the time, uh, so I decided I'd, and I was always interested in it anyways, so I decided I'd take a look at what, you know, how to get better results from, uh, you know, how to generate leads online. And naturally at that point, Google was really becoming the big elephant in the room, you know, the big kid on the block. And so I started looking at how to generate leads from Google. Um, and what was interesting was I, I, I became absolutely fascinated with search engine optimization and learning how to manipulate Google search results uh, to benefit me or whatever I wanted it to benefit. And so I started generating leads for my own business that way by just building a, you know, I learned how to build WordPress websites and then I learned how to manipulate the search results. And I, then I, at the time, Google Maps really had just come out, and so I learned how to start getting Maps results to rank on the search results page. Um, and right. I, I set up my own web my, my my own website as well as for uh, a few of the other industries, uh, you know, contractors that I worked or trades that I had worked with in in, my, in the construction business. And I used set up some sites for them just as guinea pigs, so I could test different methods. And within about Within about six to nine months, I was able to really start generating leads for not only my own business, but also for a few others. And that's when I realized that I was on to something. And so I really expanded it from that point forward. I continued to build additional websites and uh, Google Maps listings and get them to rank in Google. And what I was doing at the time was I was building them from, you know, I owned the assets, but I would get them to rank and start producing for different contractor type businesses. And once they would rank and start producing leads, phone calls, 
contact form submissions from the websites, that kind of thing. Then I would contact contractors and say, hey, look, I've got these assets available that are producing leads. Do you want to lease these from me? Or do you want to buy the leads from me on a pay-per-lead basis? So I started really a digital lead generation business. And uh, while I was still doing electrical work, but about two years into it, around 2012, I had built up enough of a portfolio of lead generation assets and making enough money from that that I was able to quit doing electrical work entirely because I realized I, I enjoyed working from home. I didn't have to fight traffic. And I could make more money with digital marketing than I could pulling wire. <laughs> you know, so so – I, uh, at that point, I opened up my agency, Big Bamboo Marketing, so that I could provide my expertise and consultation services to other local businesses, not just contractors, and really start developing like that monthly retainer type income. And um, about 2013, a year into my, my agency business, I joined a high-level mastermind group with uh, other digital marketers, and there, you know, we met once a month for a webinar, and that was about it. So I, I decided to take it upon myself to create a weekly accountability group for anybody that wanted to join me that was a part of this mastermind. And very quickly, uh, I kind of partnered up with four other people that, well, other people showed up, but I, about four, four of us plus myself were the ones that consistently were sharing information. We all each owned our own separate digital marketing businesses. But we would come every week and talk about things that were working, things that weren't working, uh, you know, different methods and techniques and, and sharing information. And there was really about five of us that did that consistently on a weekly basis while others just came and would listen. And uh, we did that for, I don't know, seven or eight months before we realized that what we were sharing was actually better information than what we were paying for to be part of this high-level mastermind. <laughs> so we saw an opportunity to create our own company and start our own information product and uh, digital con consulting and coaching business. So in 2013, we started Semantic Mastery, uh, which is now me and my four partners. I've got one other partner in the U.S. and three international partners. And so the five of us together have, you know, vast experience in multiple methods of digital marketing from, you know, search engine optimization to content marketing to pay-per-click advertising to, programming and email marketing, uh, web design, and it's it's really cool because we're able to share our information as a group, as a team, to a vast audience of people that are in either aspiring digital marketers, like people that want to be digital marketing consultants or agency owners, or even to business owners that are like do-it-yourself type business owners or have people in-house that they'd like to, you know, train how to get better results from digital marketing. And so that's really who our audience is, and that's what we've been doing since. Well, great, and you know, that's quite a quite a story there, and our trajectories are somewhat similar. I first got involved, uh, or at least interested, in the idea of e-commerce right around the time you were getting started, because you mentioned okay. that you were already in it at the time that Google became a thing, and I remember when I thought I was hot because I had email addresses with both AltaVista and Rocketmail. <laughs> Rocketmail, people yeah. were asking. Yeah, you remember, yeah. but... Uh, a lot of our audience actually doesn't, and I got involved in this stuff right around the time that the AdSense party was in full swing, and by the time I figured it out, the party was over, so there went my first million dollars right there. Uh, we've had a lot of evolution since then. Things have gotten kind of interesting. We've had some fun. I also remember the days of optimizing your, your Google Maps listing, and, you know, I kind of have a shortcut to it. See, I only have a mailing address because I work either from a home office or from one of my five secret locations around Las Vegas. 
but I've managed to get a map listing without even trying because of a little technique that I know that I actually share with people all the time, but I don't explicitly say this is how I did it. Uh, so there's a lot of little tactics that you can do, some things you even stumble into. And what inspires me about you, Bradley, is you're somebody that, at least from what I'm seeing so far, is somebody who boldly experiments with things and makes new discoveries that give you an edge that other companies that are simply looking to model what's already out there don't have. Yeah, that's correct. And again, I'm fortunate because I have four other partners as well as myself uh, that, you know, we, all of us together are always testing. And, uh, you know, that's one of our biggest things is we always are setting up test sites or test campaigns to try to figure out what works and what doesn't. And then once we figure out something that works, we repeat it and or try to duplicate it. And if we're able to duplicate it, then that's when we share it with our broader audience and so everything that we do is tested. It's not theory. And, you know, we use these. It's not like we just we don't just sell information. Uh, unfortunately, in, in my line of work as a information uh, product developer, there's a lot of people that just sell information products, even in, when it comes to digital marketing. And it's a lot of theory, but they don't actually practice it and use it to get results for their own business. In other words, they don't practice what they preach. And, um, and I, that is probably true in every industry, but it, it, it's especially true in the digital marketing training world. But fortunately, like I said, my partners and I, we each have our own separate businesses, our own separate companies that we have clients to, that, that we're held accountable to. And so we have to be able to get them results in order for those businesses to stay in, 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 to stay in, to stay in business. And so we're able to – we use our collective knowledge to test all the time under the Semantic Mastery brand. And once we, you know, find methods that work really well and, we, you know, we consider them cutting edge because we're always finding new methods, then we – again, we prove them. Then we apply them to our own clients to see if we can get them results with these methods as well and then also teach that to our, our audience and our students. And that's what, you know, again, I'm fortunate because it's not, certainly not just me. I've got uh, other partners that, you know, handle different aspects of marketing, things that their, their strengths, you know, they have their strengths and weaknesses and I have my strengths and weaknesses. And we've been together since 2013 and just had a really, really good relationship and been able to provide um, extensive, that, you know, wide-reaching type of training to pretty much anybody in, that, that wants to learn digital marketing. Right. Now, before we... Yeah, there's one more thing I want to get into before we uh, share some of your discoveries here. Is you, in your biographical statement and some of your writings, I've heard you refer to something called the semantic web. What does that mean? Well, the semantic web is really the evolution of the web because the web used to be just pages online that were indexed, essentially websites and, and, and uh, what you would call search strings and search queries and keyword-based stuff. But really, the web has become connected to everything. So they call it things, not strings now, right? It's, we, are, we are a web of things or the internet of things. And it's, so what I mean by that is we're no longer, it's no longer just about web pages, right? It's about devices, mobile devices, refrigerators, uh, you know, Alexa and Google Home and, um, you know, everything is, cars, everything is connected to the web. Our TVs are, uh, everything that we own now is connected to the web. And so the web has to be able to talk to all these devices and these things. And, and in order to, to do so, it had to evolve, and the programming language has changed. And the onset of artificial intelligence and what they call machine learning, and all of that has really, really advanced over the last few years. And so 
the semantic web is all encompassing. It, 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 it basically covers all of that stuff. And there are some new programming languages and such that can be uh, used or implemented in order to get better results within search engines. And so that's part of the thing, one of the things that we do is we, we teach how to create or to, to establish, verify, and solidify an entity, a web entity, which could be a brand, right? So a brand could be a business that is either has a physical location or just an online type business, but it's not just the website anymore that is the brand. It is the website plus all of the social media properties and the news publications that point to it and the interviews, like a podcast interview, which you and I are doing right now. That's, that's part of a brand, can be part of a brand, and can be pulled into that entity. And so there's a way to connect all of these things so that you can really elevate your authority and your presence within Google especially um, and, and use that to your advantage. Right, right, right. And, that, and to me, that helps to really identify this a lot better. So uh, there's a thing out there, and I think a lot of our listeners may have actually heard of it, called Google My Business. How is this different from some of the other animals that Google has released, and how does one use it for online lead generation? Well, Google My Business is their, what was formerly Maps. So, you know, when you, when you think of a Google Maps listing for a business, um, that's, that is now all managed underneath the Google My Business profile. So Google My Business, or what I'm going to call GMB for short, GMB is the evolution of Maps to also include a lot of additional features and tools that Google gives business owners to use. And what's great about it is they're free. However, I do want to preface something right now that I, I need to kind of disclaim this because currently Google is trying to combat or fight a lot of spam uh, GMB listings out there, maps listings that have been um, a lot of SEOs out there, including myself, <laughs> have, have been able to manipulate Google using maps listings for quite some time. And Google has found ways to identify, and they're trying to close a lot of that, uh, prevent a lot of that right now. So right now, if you have an existing Google My Business profile um, I, that has been established for any period of time, I do not recommend going in and doing any sort of um, significant changes to the profile because there are a lot of real, genuine, valid businesses out there that are being, um, that are going, you know, getting their GMB listings suspended just from making, you know, normal type of edits or changes to them. So I don't want to scare anybody. It's, you're going to be fine if you don't go in and make any significant changes. If you're a brand new business and you have not claimed or verified your GMB profile, I recommend that you do that. And you can make some changes initially when you first verify it, which typically the way you do that, by the way, is you go search, you could do, do, do a search for your brand name on the web, on Google, and see if it, if it pulls up a uh, profile, a, a maps listing. And you can even click into Google Maps if you'd like and, and do the same search and see if it pulls up a maps listing. And if it does, if you, if, you have, if you don't know if it's been verified or claimed by you or not, you can click on it and it will show you a little link that says, is this your, or, um, is this your business? And if it's not, if, if it says that, you can click on that and actually verify or claim it. And the way that that typically works is they will send you a postcard. So you, you start the process, or you can go to business.google.com and search for your business name, and same thing, same process. If you have already claimed it, then you will automatically, through your Google profile that you're logged into, you'll automatically go to the dashboard for that business uh, if, you, if you visit business.google.com. 
if you haven't claimed it, it'll prompt you to search for your business, and you can type your name in. And then if, if you know if it pulls it up and it shows that it's unclaimed, it'll allow you through a step-by-step kind of wizard to uh, to claim to to initiate the claims process, which is typically they'll send you a postcard to the business address. Once you get that, it'll have a pin on it that you enter, and that that will allow you to start editing, and it will it will allow you to start editing that listing. That's okay right now. If, if it's brand new, you can get in there and, and make some edits, optimize it, you know, add a business description, your hours of operation. If it's a service area business like a contractor would be where the contractor goes to the customer location instead of like a storefront where the customer comes to the business location, then you can set what's called your service area, uh, you know, by rating, uh, you can do it by zip codes or cities or towns or county or state, whatever you want to do. That's all important. And you can do all of that if it's a brand new listing. Um, if you do it rather quickly within a couple of days of verifying it. But I just wanted to warn your audience, what I'm going to be talking about today is uh, instead of talking about how to optimize your GMB profile like I would have planned on um, because of what's going on with the, within Google right now, it, even valid businesses are getting suspended from doing nothing other than going in and making some adjustments or changes to their profile. So I would recommend staying out of optimizing the profile. Right now, if, if the business has been published and claimed and has been, you know, existed for any amount of time. Now, that said, there is still some really powerful things you can do within Google My Business that can benefit not just local businesses, but also even a regional or national or even potentially a global business. Let me explain what I mean. Most people think of Google My Business or a Google Maps listing as a something that only a local business would utilize, once again, like a storefront that would, you know, be trying to attract customers to come walk into their door, or a service area business like a plumber or, you know, a tree service contractor or something like that that serves a local area. But these are Google properties that helps to validate that entity, like I just mentioned. Even an online business, a virtual business, still has a physical location somewhere. It could be somebody's home, right? It's fine but it's still a physical location where that business resides. So why not take advantage of these free Google tools and, and, and create a Google My Business listing for that business, send the postcard to the home address or wherever the uh, physical addresses of that, uh, that, that virtual business. For any business, you should, in my opinion, still create the Google My Business listing because it's another Google property that you can add to your, your entity, right? that helps to validate that entity as well as give it a little bit more authority in Google's eyes. So once you have uh, – I recommend, first of all, making sure you have a Google My Business listing, whether you're a local type of business or not. But number two, there's a, a feature in there called posts. So it's very much like publishing posts to a Facebook page. If Once you've logged into the, business, the, the, the dashboard for GMB, if you look in the left-hand sideboard, there's a navigation menu uh, – sidebar, excuse me. There's a na uh, navigation menu, and there's a uh, – one of the tabs says Posts. If you click on that, it'll pull up the ability to publish posts just like you could on a Facebook page or like a blog, for example. They're image and or video-driven posts, so you can upload an image or a, a video. And then there's a, a portion that you can uh, input text, and it's, it allows you up to 1,500 characters. And then there's a call to action button that you can also include, which could be um, a tap to call button for a mobile device because most of these GMB posts are designed specifically for mobile device users. They can be seen on desktops and laptops as well. But again, it's, it's it was really meant to help drive traffic for mobile devices because remember, 
seven out of all ten searches now, especially with local intent, uh, originate from a mobile device. So the Google My Business posts, or GMB posts as I like to call them, gives you the ability to go in there and create posts regularly, publish often and regularly, and that just creates activity within that GMB listing, which helps to kind of tickle what we call tickle that freshness factor, that, that freshness part of the algorithm that Google likes to see, fresh and regular content updates. And it's done directly within the Google platform. And so within those calls to action, you can also link. You can, like, for example, call to action, you can select from a dropdown a, a call button, which will automatically, when somebody taps it, will ring the phone that's listed in that GMB listing, uh, you know, is the phone number for that business. You can also right. tap, uh, cr you can create a learn more button, but then you can insert a link to whatever you want, back to your website, a landing page, a product page, a service page. You can send them people to your Facebook or your Yelp listing or whatever you want to do. You can send them anywhere you want. Um, and there's various other call-to-action text on those buttons like book now or uh, get offer, you know, things like that. But essentially, it still creates a link from, G from Google. So you can actually use that to your advantage. And the, the, the key with the GMB post, again, even if you're not a local business, you can use that to benefit whatever business you have because you can post regularly from Google and provide links back to your what we call tier one entity assets, which would be your main website, your product and service pages within the main website, your blog posts if you're blogging, doing content marketing from your website. You could link to your primary social media accounts. You could link to um, any other like tier one assets that are out there that are linking back to you, like again, press releases or uh, external blogs that you're listed on, guest posts, things like that. You could link from Google to those and it starts to really start to solidify that entity as we talked about with, with the semantic web. It tells Google, hey, look, we're, this is us, and this is us in all these places on the web, and you're actually linking to them from within Google. So you're really reinforcing that, that relationship between your primary asset, your domain, and all of these um, tier one entity assets, and that really creates this map within Google to say, hey, this, this brand is out there, and it, they're, they're, they've got this wide footprint on the web. If that, if that makes any sense, that really helps to elevate the status and authority within Google. Yeah, yeah, it certainly does. I, I couldn't agree more. So I wanted to ask one question here. You mentioned that if you have your profile basically up to date or you feel it's up to date or what have you, to not update it. But you're saying that what if you are, have a local business and you need to change your mailing address? I figure I'd ask this because this may be occurring in some of our listeners' minds. Sure. Well, I mean, again, you can attempt to do it um, if you have to. Like if you move locations, you've got no choice but to, to go in and make that change. And you may, you may or may not get suspended. I can't tell you. Like honestly, there's no rhyme or reason to it right now. Um, and it's unfortunate, but it's just because Google's trying to figure out a way to combat spam. And so they've got what I call an itchy trigger finger. There are um, certain activities that are, can trigger a suspension, and it's algorithmic. It's not like a manual suspension where somebody went and reviewed it and said, okay, you know what, this looks fake, we're going we're gonna to kill it. It's just something that happens, and we haven't figured out exactly what yet. There is a reinstatement or a reconsideration process that you can uh, follow to try to get it reinstated if it gets suspended. However, I can tell you with absolute certainty that there is a backlog in that right now because of so many unintentional suspensions by the algorithm, and so many valid businesses have uh, submitted these reconsideration requests 
that there's a backlog. And so if you, if it, it God forbid, and you know, that, that it happens to you, um, you submit the reconsideration request and Google's going to send you a canned response that's going to say, you know, due to the backlog, we, uh, we have, it'll be two to three weeks before we can review your case. Well, that could be devastating to a local business that relies on the traffic from Google, right? And so there's really not a lot of alternatives right now. I mean, again, if you have to change details because you change locations or, or whatever the case may be, you can attempt to do it, um, and I, I, I wouldn't fault you for trying. Um, and and you may get a, you may be able to successfully make that edit without there being any problems at all. But if it does suspend it, then you know it can be quite painful while you're waiting for Google. You know they're like the federal government because they're so big, they're slow to respond. <laughs> so um, there's not a lot of options on how to remedy that other than to re, uh, submit the reconsideration request, and perhaps during that time that you're waiting for them. Um, maybe run some Google Ads or something so that your traffic doesn't completely dry up if you rely heavily on Google for traffic. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make a, a lot of sense here. And, you know, the sad thing about these types of things is the algorithms and the bots that sometimes drive these things are just absolutely stupid. They yeah. run into, they, they, they make these determinations. Like, if you think of people who attempt to run, I know we're discussing Google here, but I've seen people who attempt to run Facebook ads and uh and our Apple gets declined because it says there's no link to your privacy policy. So right. they'll add a link to their privacy policy. And then they'll resubmit the ad and they'll say, your ad has been declined because there's no link to the privacy policy. And they'll say, I added the link to the privacy policy. Resubmit. And then they'll get another decline that says, we have given you clear instructions three times to add that privacy policy link. Why hasn't it been added yet? Like, I added it! Frustrating. I mean, I had this one case where back when I dabbled in Facebook advertising or something, and I've said this many times, I don't do it. Uh, I'm not really interested in doing it for my business because of how aggravating it is and, and my you know, lack of tolerance for absurdity is I uh, was uh, applying ads to promote a tele-seminar we were doing for the Business Creators Institute on how to get sponsorships to attend events. And somehow Facebook's little bots or algorithms became convinced that I was selling tobacco products. So I wrote back, like, look, moron, this is not a tobacco product. And then they said, and then they said, well, your ads declined because you're doing multi-level marketing. I said, uh, no, this is not multi-level marketing, but here are some screenshots of some ads that are active right now that do promote MLM products. And then I got yeah. this real nasty letter from an actual human being that said, don't you ever question our decisions if you want to continue to use our platform. Your ad is denied. Yeah, how, not how dare you? Ads. Yeah. <laughs> how so, dare you? <laughs> so, yeah, so there's a perception that there are these attitudes out there. And I wanted to take a moment to address this. And my personal thought on it, and this is why you need to have a diversified strategy, because these types of mass programs, whether it be Google My Business or Facebook advertising or anything like that that, that everybody's chasing after, uh, which, you know, you know, these are good products, don't get me wrong. Uh, I just, you know, the latter I just choose not to use based on my experience. But they, uh, you have to bear in mind that they can really only be one piece to what you're doing because they can get suspended for some ridiculous reason. Their algorithms will you know, you know, act like they're looking at you in an alternative universe, and then if you try and ask a human being, you might get some human being decides to push you around just because they can. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, so I'd that, like to expand on that a bit, Adam, because yeah. I, I agree with you 100%. You know, even though I have built my entire business primarily within Google and use, and I, and I learned how to do SEO very, very well, I also like using YouTube for traffic and Google Ads oh, yeah. to display display network and, and pay-per-click ads or search ads as well as, you know, YouTube ads included. But those are all Google products. And so you, what you said about diversifying your lead sources and your marketing and advertising opportunities is, is 100% correct. And, you, you know, you should be – now, you, you should be using more than just one because, you know, God forbid all you relied on was Google Maps and your, your listing gets suspended. And what do you do as a business? You could literally lose your business because your your leads dry up if that's all you focused on. Um, so the, diversifying your your lead sources is a great way to do it. Through I mean, and there's multiple ways that you can do that. Now that said, I also do want to caution though because a lot of business owners I know, especially newer business owners, they come in and they think, oh God, I've got to do all these things and I've got to learn all these things or hire people to do all these things. And I don't I don't. I don't recommend that because you'll become overwhelmed and you you either will do them very poorly or you just won't do them. So I would recommend instead pick one thing that interests you to start with and learn that or at least implement that even if you don't learn it, you know, find somebody that right. can implement it for you, whatever the case may be. And once that is is running consistently well and producing, then you go to another method and implement that until it gets it's producing well. So that instead of becoming overwhelmed, you do them one, you take it one step at a time. So, yeah, this is one of the mistakes we commonly see when folks make the transition from solopreneurial business to having a leveraged entrepreneurial business with employees and contractors and all that. And I've seen this way too often. People invest in some coaching program that's going to help them make this their best year ever. Blah 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 blah. And they attend right. one, and they attend one group coaching session. And next thing you know, they're out there in the marketplace. So they got to hire a copywriter, they got to hire a social media person, got to hire a webmaster, got to have hire a hire a customer service person. We got to hire a uh, we got to hire an ad person. We got to hire somebody to uh, do the the customer scripting. We got to hire a lead sourcer. We got to hire this that and the other thing. So they'll. Say, so because somebody told them they got to have all these things, they'll engage mm -hmm. all these people, and it's like, um, what do we do with this now? And then they say, well, I hired all these people, and they all just took my money and didn't do anything for me. No, yeah. no, that's not exactly how this plays out. I, Ten years ago, when I used to have, when I used to own a web development firm, which uh, you know, I was, was perfectly – a good business, except the fact that I was excited to close the town. Um, I, and I've shared this many times on Business Creative Radio before. Uh, there was this one client we had who was a referral from another client who uh, apparently had taken that similar approach. And this guy, after a, you know, basically not responding to weeks of inquiries of, uh, hey, when can we get started? Hey, can we do this? He decides on a Friday afternoon, okay, we got to get the website up today. It's like I said, um, okay, it's Friday afternoon. Uh, I'm not the designer. I got to get my team here, and this is something we've been asking about for weeks. He comes back with, "Well, it's one o'clock, and as I remember, the business day ends at five. So, what are you doing during those next four hours?" So, I don't remember all the trajectory of this, but I know that about an hour later, I found myself on some conference call with like five other people who were getting the exact same message from this guy, and between the five of us. What we determined is we had all taken on this guy as a client as a favor to one of our other clients who he was friends with. 
and we all were telling the exact same story, and somebody on the call, and it wasn't me, asked the question out loud, what are any of us doing here? Don't we have, like, literally everything more important than this guy? Yeah. And I don't think I don't think this client met badly. I, I think he was a, a, a nice person. I think he was I think he cared about his business and everything else. But with all his coaching and all his masterminding that he was receiving, I think the thread that was missing is what are you going to do with all this? How are you going to leverage it? Uh, what pieces can you implement now? What pieces can you move ahead with later? This is why Bradley, we need people like you to help bifurcate that. So. We're a little over halfway through here already. We're having so much fun. And uh, there is something I would love to discuss with you here. I said myself that search engine marketing is the new search engine optimization because you can't just change words on your page. you got to go out and get it. So you have a definition of what is the new SEO. So tell us about your definition. Maybe it's the same as mine. Maybe it's a lot different. Let's find out. Well, actually, the, and through – extensive testing, and, and this is a really good thing. It's, a, it's something that Google has, because of the, the semantic web and, again, artificial intelligence and rank brain and, or machine learning, Google calls it rank brain. They're, one of the ways that they've been able to combat spam, right, so defend against spammers, which as SEOs, that's something that we've done for years is manipulate Google through various methods, um, which could include spam. Now, I know to, to, to the average person, the civilian, I should say, the layperson, uh, spam sounds like a bad word on, on, the, on, on the web. But to an SEO, it's just normal, right, stuff that we do. We would spam things. We would, you know, but, again, th there's so many things that we've been able to do to manipulate Google. And so Google is always trying to find ways to, to prevent that and to right. give a better user experience and to – uh, and so, so the new SEO, and it's this really started about two years ago, but it's gotten so much better recently, is engagement signals, which is a good thing. Um, and what we call art, activity, relevancy, trust, and authority. So uh, engagement signals means, like, because Google has it's, – it's similar to Facebook in that Google tracks users. Now, this might sound a bit scary to you all, but um, you're probably aware of it anyways. Let me just remind you <laughs> that – because of our Android devices and because we're logged into Google and because we use G Google Maps and wherever we go and because our phones are always connected and in our pockets and our lives are lived on our phones, Google and Facebook, they know what we're doing all the time, every single day. They know where we go to eat, what time we wake up, what, what our likes are, our dislikes are, the kind of content we watch on TV, what we read online, all of that. They know so much about us, it's unbelievable. And so... What Google does is it actually tracks user engagement with brands and digital assets or entity assets, as we just talked about. And so what we found is that it's, it's the, the, the traditional SEO signals, like such as backlinks and keywords and things like that, they still play a role. There's no question they still play a role in how you rank in sure. Google and in and, and your exposure. But it's so much less of a piece of the overall pie now than it used to be because engagement signals and how people interact with your brand or your your where your where your brand is on the web that's so much more important. Uh -huh. And so so things like click through rate from the search results and dwell time. So like when people land on your website, do they stay on the website for long? Do they visit other pages? Do they scroll down the page to read some of the content? That's called scroll depth. Like, do they do they click through to social media properties? Do they interact with other 
um, assets or branded assets of your brand on the web. So it's not necessarily like, so Google tracks, they know like, well, hey, they visited the website and then now they're over here on their YouTube channel. And hey, maybe they visited their Facebook page or their Amazon store or whatever the case may be. Google tracks all that data and says, this, this brand is engaging with the, the, the user. And that's really, really important. And so, I mean, that's a good thing because it, it, it allows businesses that are producing good content and, you know, serving their customers or their audience well to get better results. And it actually pushes the spam tactics and techniques down further and further as, and get less and less results. And so I think that's a good thing. Right. Yeah, you know, and some of what you said relates to email marketing. One thing we have to be very conscious of is that deliverability algorithms have gotten very sophisticated. But mm -hmm. if you're willing to play the game by the rules, these will very easily work in your favor, as I experienced firsthand. We were generating a new lead magnet campaign for one of my businesses. And as Active Campaign users, we use the platform Active Campaign. We were discovering that the entire email sequence we had put inside our automation for people who opted in for this thing, something that I created with love and joy, was going directly into spam boxes. Mm -hmm. So uh, we contacted their deliverability team. They gave a good look at everything that was happening. And what they determined was that we, when we moved Active Campaign, we had brought in our list from another platform. And even when we brought the list from another platform, it was already a few years old, and the engagement was pretty low. So we were sending emails to this entire list of folks who we hadn't really done the proper amount of scrubbing on and getting open rates of 5%, 6%, or something like that. In this day and age, 5 and 6% just doesn't cut it. you got to have more. Yeah. Otherwise, you run a very good chance of getting spam listed. So they gave us some recommendations of how to gently pare down a list, how to send the segments, how to use their platform to measure who were the most active engagers, the people who were most recently opened an email, things like that. And I looked at all this and I said, you know, I could do that or I could just look in the database, um, pull off everybody who has an open an email in at least 60 days, go through it, make sure that there's not like just a couple people who happen to know been on vacation the whole time and not delete them, but otherwise delete everybody. And it knocked my list down dramatically. But what's interesting is two things. Number one, we got out of spam and into primary in a week. It was, it was that quick, number one. Number two, we discovered that in terms of the raw number of people opening emails, in other words, actual sets of eyes on emails, even though the size of our list went down by 70%, our raw open numbers went up by 15% because the emails yeah. were now considered more healthy the more people who might have been looking to open them were actually seeing them. So they were they might have been going to those people's spam inboxes, but now they're coming to their primary inboxes, so they see it. So don't be, in my estimation, afraid to make these kind of moves because it's actually been very good for my business. Uh, I've managed to re-engage a couple prospects. We've gotten a couple new clients out of it. It's been a really good time. So don't feel bad about cutting out the dead wood. And I'll make one other point here. Bradley, you've been around for a long time, so you were already in this when CanSpam became a thing. I was coming in right around the time CanSpam became a thing. And we were both here for Castle. We were both here for GDPR. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that people I work with 
were hardly affected by either any of those things. And I'll tell you exactly why. Because I have, uh, for any client for whom I do coaching or consulting in the areas of marketing, and that's a cherry-picked list, uh, I, I approach you. You don't approach me. Uh, one of the conditions is, is you don't do black hat tactics. And if you try and press the point with me of doing it and try and say, well, I'm the client and I'm paying for this and I want you to do it, you're fired. If I find out that you say, okay, we won't do it, and then you go behind my back and you hire somebody else to do it for you, you don't tell me, you're fired. Because I'm not going to have my efforts sabotaged by all this, and it's not going to be my issue of responsibility when something like GDPR, can spam or capital comes through and basically knocks you out of the box. The folks who did it the right way from the very beginning, as far as can spam, capital, GDPR, and all that, basically found that the actual effort they had to do to be compliant was to update their privacy policies. Because they're doing it the right way all along, they were fine. So clients I work with when Castle became a big thing, and you're going to end up with million-dollar fines in Canada. Not my clients. When GDPR became a big thing, all right, so we'll update the privacy policy. Done. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and, I, and I bring all this up because you were sharing about, you know, the whole spamming thing and using that term to get our attention as a pattern interrupt and then how you redefine that. So I wanted to bring that out to our listeners that, yeah, you do things the right way, you get the right results. Yeah, and that, you know, that's what I was, when I say spam, um, you know, I think some people might think email spam, but spam means, it's the same, the same type of intent. In other words, with, with SEO spam, it means like you could be publishing crappy articles on the web just for the fact that it puts a link back to your website, for example. Or yeah. you create fake listings to create additional, you know, fake listings that create additional leads and stuff like. I mean, that, that's the, that's what I mean by spam. You're doing stuff that's not valid or genuine just for the simple fact or purpose of uh, manipulating and getting, you know, a, a leg up on the competition. And that's something as SEOs, we kind of play that cat and mouse game with Google all the time. But that's why I said that Google has been working on trying to, uh, you know, prevent that since really its inception. But over the last couple of years, it's yeah. gotten much better because it's put so much more weight into the engagement signals as the, one of the primary ranking factors now. And I think that's a good thing because it gives brands the opportunity that are publishing content, good content, and engaging well with their audience or their user, their, their, prospect, their prospects, that kind of stuff. That gives them the opportunity to even compete with the larger brands. And um, it, it's kind of leveled the playing field in that in that way, and 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 so again, I think I think it's actually a good thing, and there's there's things that we can do to to um, take advantage of that. This is a great time to jump into the third of the three topics I was looking for us to cover today, which is great. And if you could share with us your perspective on how to build your brand, and in particular, manage reputation marketing. In fact, the questions about reputation marketing were brought to us by a couple of folks who saw that you were going to be on Business Creators Radio Show by visiting our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and saying, hey, once you, uh, they came to me and said, hey, when you have Bradley on the show, could you ask him about reputation marketing? So building your brand and managing reputation marketing, what do you have for us on that? Well, that's a great question, um, and that's part of the new SEO, and that's because, as again, the semantic web, we just talked about 
entity va validation and solidification and amplification, right? And so that's reputation marketing. Is, a lot of people think of a few years ago it was reputation management, right? And so that was like right. that was the thing. And you hear you hear about reputation defender and like all these things. Reputation management is, in my opinion, what you do if if you've got you know some 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 crap to clean up online. In other words, you've got some bad reputation, uh, bad reviews out there, or negative things that have been said. You then you, that's when you need reputation management. You got to get somebody in there that, or that that can help to clean up the mess, so to speak. But reputation marketing is much more of a it, it, it's much more proactive as opposed to reactive. I think of reputation management as reactive, but reputation marketing is proactive in that. Why not build your brand and use your, 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 your reputation as a leading factor in your marketing? And that's what reputation marketing really is. And so, well, how do you do that? What, what is that exactly? And that's one of the things, like, like, again, traditional SEO would have been just doing whatever you could to get a website to rank. And if you got it in the number one right. position, you would, get, you would get traffic and you would get leads, period, end of story. However... You, uh, web users, internet users, are much savvier now than they were five years ago. And just being in the number one position doesn't mean that you're going to get all the traffic and leads because, and especially when you're talking like on a local level, when you're talking about maps listings and you see the review star rating. And even if you get to number one but you had no reviews or you had some poor reviews so your star rating was low, if there are the competitors that are just below you uh, that have many reviews and many, you know, four and five star reviews, they're the ones that are going to get the traffic, not you. And so, again, being number one is no longer just, you know, is, is no longer the, the end all be all. It, it really does matter to have a good reputation and because that's what people are looking for online. What's funny is consumers will trust third-party reviews and ratings as much as, a, as if it was a referral from a trusted advisor or a loved one or a family member or a friend. And so it's important to get good reviews and to, to be proactive in asking customers or clients or whatever to, to, to rate you, to review you online. Now, you can't incentivize it. In a lot of places, you can actually get in trouble for incentivizing um, good reviews. You can incentivize in many places for people to leave you a review, good, bad, or ugly. Um, but So it's, it's important, I think, to, for, for businesses to – Always work on developing a review campaign process that will allow them to constantly follow up with customers at the point of sale and immediately thereafter and even a few times, uh, you know, within a, a period of time, like a, a window. And it's going to depend on what type of customer it was or what type of product or service you sell as to how often and, uh, you, you, would, you would reach out to them. But have some sort of process in place where you are requesting or soliciting reviews from from customers so that you can start to build that reputation and then use that in your marketing and, and use that as, as part of it. So one of the things that we like to do is uh, for, for my clients and, and one of the things we teach is like proactively creating press or inbound PR, right, about your business. So, for example, talking about your business on a podcast like what I'm doing with you right now, Adam, that's, that's a form of inbound right. PR, Um publishing press releases about your products, your services, good news from within the company. You've hired a new employee or an employee, you've won an award, you've got a good review. Like there's no yeah. better reason to publish a press release, in my opinion, than to announce that you just received a five-star review from a happy customer. And 
that's yeah. a piece of news that gets published out there and picked up by a lot of news and media sites that prevent pr- creates backlinks, it creates traffic, and creates that engagement and also builds that brand identity and recognition as well. So, again, that's what yeah. reputation marketing is, and I think that's all part of the new SEO because it really does help to elevate that engagement level too, which will help your SEO overall. Yeah, you know what um – you know, uh, you mentioned podcasting, and I've argued myself that podcasting is part of the new search engine marketing. Because here's the thing: some folks, and I, I run, I'm in, I run an agency. I'm the executive director of a company called In Demand Expert, and we find that folks will occasionally come to us and say, "Well, I don't only want to be on podcasts that have more than 10,000 listeners and 50,000 downloads, so I need the stats and blah, 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 blah. We've also had among the over 300 uh, guests of Business Creators Radio Show. In addition to that, we've had some folks who didn't make it on the show. And here's what we noticed, and it was one PR agency, and I remember in particular, that kept doing this, is they would fill out the application at businesscreatorsradioshow.com, you know, like you, uh, excuse me, like, like you, Bradley, your agent with, who has a relationship with us came to our website and filled out the application and put the Bradley Benner information in there. They came to me, I reviewed it, I said, let's have Bradley on the show, so here you are. Now, we've had this one other agency who would fill out the application, that do it exactly right, that send us some great candidates and say, sure, let's have so-and-so on the show. And then they would turn around and say, they'd say oh, oh, well, our guest, so-and-so, you have to understand there, very busy and their time is limited, so uh, we need you to send us your download and listen stats so we can decide if your audience is big enough. And I basically said, screw you. I, in fact, I think after the third time, I think I said the more profane version of that because, are you kidding me? First of all, uh, any download and listener stats of the Business Creators Radio Show are none of anybody's business. I won't share them with anybody. I, I, I won't. That's it. Uh, because if you're looking to come on this show simply because you want to get lots of listeners and downloads, you're missing a few things. Number one, our show has been on the air for over five and a half years. Uh, we have That means we have five and a half years of search engine marketing. You look up any phrase even remotely related to our show, and we get pages and pages and pages and pages and pages and pages and pages, and pages of search results that point back to our website or one of our syndicators. So coming on the Business Creators Radio Show is really great for search engine marketing because if you really want to be on a good podcast, you want to look for a podcast that is established, that has its own dedicated website, that promotes its own episodes, that's plugged into a lot of syndication networks, and then you're going to start to see some long-term results, which is lots and lots and lots of backlinks pointing back to your site. That's right. And that's what I tell folks all the time. So when you look at podcasting as – that, that should be one of your podcasting strategies. So one is get on those types of shows. Another strategy is if you have, a, if, there's, if the host is somebody you view as a potential business partner or alliance partner, get on that show because you can have the green room time with them. You can get a little something kicking and going. So that's another element of why podcasting is very important. Third reason you want to get on a lot of podcasts is because and this kind of goes back to number one, if you optimize the title that you give your host. Like, for instance, I want to get a lot of search results on Groundhog Day's and event, not a business strategy. So 
I've done a lot of episodes where the title is Groundhog Days and the Vet Not a Business Strategy with Adam Homey. So when somebody looks up my book, they're going to see tons of results. Makes it big. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, one thing I do want to mention is that, you know, in, inbound PR can be, it doesn't have to be just podcasting either. I mean, it can be a YouTube channel. One of one of our greatest yeah. resources for, for, for my company, Semantic Mastery, has been our YouTube channel. We don't we do a weekly webinar series where it's a, like a Q&A, and we've been doing it for our episode. We did an episode 244, 244 this week. So, again, it's it's consistency. And, and any brand can utilize these types of platforms to create that inbound sure. PR and to do reputation marketing. Um, it, the, the key is to do it and implement it consistently, and it, and it will become – um, it will become like routine to where it's not difficult. It seems daunting at first, but very quickly you fall into a routine to get it done, and it, and it becomes actually one of our greatest uh, sources of leads is just having a, a YouTube channel with a vast amount of content. So I agree with you 100%. Exactly. All right, so we're actually at the top of the hour here, and I did uh, indicate to our listeners that Bradley Better has a little something for you. So if you're leaning in, you're finding this interesting. You maybe want to take it a step further. You want to look more into optimizing your digital marketing efforts. Bradley, I think you said you had something to share with us. I do. Uh, we have a welcome page set up for your listeners. It's semanticmastery.com slash BCR for Business Creators Radio. Um, and so if you go there, you can download, uh, you know, some free stuff that we're going to give you. And also we have our weekly webinar series that I just mentioned. It's called Hump Day Hangouts. We do it every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. And uh, it's a Q&A, yeah, it's a Q&A series. It's, it's basically anybody can join um, and just post their questions, a business owner, d aspiring digital marketers, post their questions about how to get better results with digital marketing, and we answer them live on the webinar. And if you can't make it to the live webinar, it's okay. You can still post your questions and, and listen to your, the answers in the replay, which is always at our YouTube channel, so Semantic Mastery. Just go to YouTube and search Semantic Mastery, and you'll find it. So. All right, very good. Yeah, we want to make sure that people are aware of the link. You go to semanticmastery.com forward slash BCR, and uh, that, yeah, that's semanticmastery.com forward slash BCR, and you'll find what Bradley just said that he has for you. And, uh, again, I've tested it myself. You look up the phrase semantic mastery, you get a lot of Bradley Benner information, including his website, including his episodes, his broadcasts, his interviews. So you can see in action how this stuff works if you make your decision to reach out to him and begin a conversation. So Bradley Bender, uh, excuse me, Bradley Benner, I'm so excited about this, uh, Big Bamboo Marketing and Semantic Mastery. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and an education. Well, thank you, Adam, for having me. I appreciate it and had a good, good conversation with you. So thank you. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, and we will help you win the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion when you see what we have to offer you at our website with over 300 episodes. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.